just because we're in a hot market, just because we're in a seller's market, doesn't mean you as a buyer have to bow down to everything that they want. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me on this beautiful Wednesday, we got Matt Jones as always. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, Todd? I'm doing great, man. It's been a busy a uh, little while here. We've closed on a couple buildings. Finally, you got them across the finish line, which is always a, a relief, but we got more deals in the hopper. So uh, just, just been busy with that. It's, I think I've talked about, it. it's been a wild and weird market, like, you know, 90% or more of the properties we look at. I'm just so far off. It's just, it, it, I feel like I'm in a different planet. And then all of a sudden it's like these deals come up that are really good. Uh, that work. I'll close on this one building uh, this week. And uh, well, I suppose while this plays, it's going to be next last week. But we closed on this building. And and now I'm I'm happy to share. It was really interesting. Because we think of the this is a seller's market, right? The sellers are calling the shots, you can't really negotiate, you got to come in full price. And I think that's very misleading. Um, and, and actually the last two buildings I purchased, sim- similar stories, one more drastic than the other. This building I closed on for $850,000 and actually appraised for 1.4 million. So we got some pretty good equity already. But the, the sellers wanted a lot more for it. They wanted double of what we purchased it for. Uh, and, and I offered, I knew, I found out their story. I found out why they were selling. I found out that they definitely were motivated sellers. And we had our strike price in place, quite frankly, the price I was willing to pay based on their motivation, based on the numbers. And I wasn't willing to pay anymore. And I've held very firm to my offer. And even when they came in and they were only off on my offer by, $50,000. I said, guys, eight, $850, take it or leave it. I, I don't really care. That's where I'm at. And I ended up getting the deal done. Um, and because I just held to my strike price. And quite frankly, if you don't get emotional about it, and you don't care if you get the deal or not, it doesn't bother you if they say no. <clears throat> we had another deal. This is deal that I did just closed on apartment building and apartment market super hot, right? Everybody's buying apartments. Uh, but this was an off market deal. And again, was able to negotiate with the seller. They kept on coming back to us with higher prices. And even my business partners were like, Hey, let's take it. And I said, no, they're going to come down to our price. I know they will. So we negotiated and, uh, back and forth and, we just held still. We just said, this is it. Take it or leave it. And eventually they took it. And so you have to hold firm to your strike price. You have to know where you're going to be comfortable buying the property, what the numbers work for you. And, and, you know, understand the motivation too. I think that's a big thing. 
have to understand the seller's motivation. You have to understand the market, what's going on. Um, but just because we're in a hot market, just because we're in a seller's market, doesn't mean you as a buyer have to bow down to everything that they want. So you're not lowering your standards. So you're, you're maintaining conservative underwriting uh, and you're just going through the numbers until you find something that sticks. Well, and you know, the other thing too is, is so on, on both deals, we held firm to our price, but gave a little bit in certain other concessions. So for instance, on the apartment building, we held very firm to our price, but we gave them hard earnest money down within five days of the PSA being signed. Um, that wasn't our original offer, right? So our original offer was the earnest money's not hard until the due diligence is over. So we gave a little bit there. Um, we gave uh, on some other minor things for them. So we still gave them some, but at, the, at there's some point in time where you just have to go, this is it guys, this is it. Take it or leave it. Yeah, when I got started in real estate, I was surprised that the sale price wasn't always the biggest motivating factor for a seller. A lot of times the terms are what really make the deal happen. Yeah, you know, it's funny as we're negotiating on a deal right now and we'll see where it goes. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things the seller actually needs to sell the property we wanted to, our original offer was to close within, um, I think, 75 days and they don't want to close until 2022. That's a motivating factor for them that we're willing to wait to close. Um, so for us, it actually works out really well as far as timing wise and some equity that we've got that'll be coming up at the same time. So it, it, it worked really well, but you've, it's an, you're right. It's not always price. Price has something to do with it but it's not always price. There's so, there's so many other things and you've got to find out, especially, you know, these fully marketed deals are a little bit different, right? There, there's bidding wars, but even with that, you've got to find out what the motivating factor for the seller is. <clears throat> and there's plenty of times where the highest price does not win. The company that can present itself as the most viable option, as the surest thing, with the right terms in place and all that kind of stuff, it's a company that's going to win it. So, you know, sometimes you have, you're at a disadvantage because you might not be able to be the big company. Um, but at other times, that's not even necessarily what they're looking for. They might be looking for different terms. Uh, they might like the fact that you will do, that, that you've got some sort of installment type sale or that you have a closing date flexibility or, you know, whatever it might be. So figure out what their motivating factor is. I think that's super important. If you can get them on the phone, the seller on the phone, that's even better. Otherwise make sure you get that broker on the phone and really talk to them about, Hey, what, what are the things they really want to see? I'm curious about the uh, 2022 sales date. Uh, what the motivating factor was that as a tax purpose? Taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Tax purposes. I mean, you know, they gotta, they gotta be able to sell and make, they don't want to, they don't, I, I don't know exactly what it was, but um, yeah, for tax purposes, 2022 for, for me right now, I mean, I'm, I would, I've got a couple properties I would love to sell, but I can't sell them until 2022. Otherwise I'll take too big of a tax hit on those properties and, and I don't want to. And so for me, I'm waiting to list these properties until 
we get much closer to 2022 and then I, cause then I can sell them. When you have the seller on the phone or the broker on the phone, how does the conversation go to try to find out what those motivating factors are? I mean, just got to really honestly, just to just ask, and it's just all, all about, you know, position yourself. First of all, when you get a seller on the phone, it's great, right? So you get an opportunity to introduce yourself, who you are, get them comfortable with, with who you are as a person, who you are as a company, um, make sure they're comfortable. Why are you interested in their building? Uh, and, and trust me, like that, you think, well, that they shouldn't care. It's just about the price. No, 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 no. They want to know that you're going to close on this building. And as a seller myself of apartment building, like I've done a lot of work to this building. I've got it to where it's at. I want to make sure that somebody that's actually going to be decent takes it over. Like I, in, I like my buildings. I like my staff. I like my residents. If we've done our job, we've created a good community, and I'd like to see that community continue to thrive. I don't want to see it go the opposite way. So there's actually a lot of people that care about who takes over on their property. So you want to present yourself in a fashion of, you know, why? Why are you interested? I just had a conversation with a seller on a a deal that we're working out. And it's a flex space deal. So it's, it's a industrial slash office. Um, and, and my conversation is cause I'm a multifamily guy is, you know, Hey, why are you interested in this space? And, you know, for me to talk them through, cause this is exactly why I really like what's going on in the industrial, um, space and, um, want to diversify multifamily. I love it, but I also want to diversify into other, um, other sectors of, of real estate. I've got a great team behind me, uh, that type of thing. <clears throat> they want to know that. So, and then to go back to your question, you know, what do you want? So I'm going to be asking those questions. I'm going to say, you know, if it's to the seller, say, you know, what's the, what's the main reason why you're selling? And, and they'll give me an answer depending on what that answer is, I might dig in a little deeper. If I feel like they just gave me a pretty surface answer, I'll say, well, you know, okay, you know, it's, it's time to sell, but is there a specific reason why it's time to sell? It's, is there, you know, any, any family ties or, or hardships or, you know, whatever, what it, what is it? And, and try to dig in deeper. When you ask questions for people, Sometimes you get very surface level answers. Sometimes those like completely tell you everything right off the bat, but typically not. So it's always good to try to go at least three layers deep. Ask that question in a different way, three different times minimum. Uh, and sometimes we need to go even more. And, and we're trying to ask it a different way each time, right? <clears throat> so, and play it off of what they just said. So if they say, yeah, it's, it's just time to sell. Oh, it's time to sell. What, what, what does that, uh, what's that mean? Did you have like a, do you have, uh, you know, another property you're looking at buying or, Oh, it's time to sell Do you have investors involved in this deal? And, and you had a business plan set up for it, you know, what, what, and then what, however they answer that, then we can ask a, another question. Also, I'm just going to straight up ask, like, what are things that you really are really important to you on, on my offer? Uh, and see what they say. 
And if they don't give much, you can kind of start saying some things like, well, do you, is price the most motivating factor or is it a quick close? Is it a quick close or is it how much risk capital we put up front? Are you motivated by tax consequences? Would you be interested in any type of installment sale? Maybe a carry back, or maybe even would you want to be an, in an equity position in our investment? We're going to be doing X, Y, and Z to the property. We're looking for investors. We raise money. And quite frankly, if you'd be interested in it, we'd be happy to put you into the deal. <clears throat> Are happy to open a position for you. Don't make it sound like you need them, right? But we'd be happy to consider opening a position for you. So, what are some of the other motivating factors that you found? I mean, there's all kinds of motivating factors. On on one of the on this last deal, we closed a senior housing deal. The motivating factor was twofold. One, they were bleeding cash. They, they and two is it just didn't fit their portfolio. It's a, it's a very successful, large company that has larger assets located in a major market. And this was kind of this outlier, this property that didn't belong in their portfolio. It was actually came in because of they acquired or merged with another company. And that was the outlier for that other company. So that other company had owned it. They owned several bigger buildings. Um, in the same market, in the same major market. And then they bought this random small building in a market several hours away from them. And it didn't fit their portfolio. And then when they got you know, the merger, it really didn't fit the portfolio. So it just didn't make sense. And they'll, they're, they will admit that, like that is why we're selling. It does not fit our portfolio. We're not good at managing it. We're doing a really bad job. And you can see by the financials that, this is not what we do. Um, and they're an excellent company. They do really well with what they are good at. So uh, for, you know, there's just so many different motivating factors. Um, you know, we didn't have, we, we didn't plan on it. It could be as simple as, look, we bought this property as a cash flowing property. And we know there's a lot of great opportunity to renovate it and to raise rents, but we did not plan for that. So at this point in time, there's either two things for us to do. One is to sell, which is what we're choosing to do, or the other one would be to recapitalize, uh, which we don't really want to do, right? Uh, that's, that's a, that, there's a lot of that that happens. A company comes in, they buy it, maybe they do a small reposition, maybe they just do a cash flow play. The market catches up and goes way beyond. And then they're like, look, man, we could raise rents by 200 bucks a month, but we would need to raise $4 million. <clears throat> Let's just sell, you know, we'll make $4 million. So. Very cool. Well, uh, yeah, this wasn't even what we meant to talk about. Uh, so often uh, when we have the, our conversations here, we just kind of go on tangents uh, that uh, turn out to be really interesting. That's my that's my fault. I just kind of randomly start to <laughs> babble that. And I'm like, yeah, we are totally going to talk about something else. But, you know, I think this is this is good stuff. It's, it's important, um, you know, to know. I, th I think one of the biggest things a lot of newer investors miss and, and even some seasoned investors is just having those conversations with the brokers, with the sellers, uh, also being frank in, in just 
upfront with the broker and the seller. So we have a deal we're talking with this broker about, and the seller keeps coming back up uh, on his price. And I just called the broker up and I said, look, you know, I, I know they want to get more money and this is where we're at. And here's why this is where we're at. Look, we have been talking with contractors about the building. We actually have engaged with the contractor that's currently doing work in the building. So we're very aware of the capital needs that are in place or that are needed in the building. We also talked with one of the previous managers that was at the building and we know the reputation that this property has and we know the amount of heavy lifting needed. And so with that said, we can't go up on price. We're where we're at and, and they are going to either have to come down to price or we're just going to have to walk away. And so you got to be honest with them. You got to make them understand like with that conversation, I don't know if this deal is going to happen. It might not, but with that conversation, at least now the seller knows this is why our price is where it's at. It's not just because we only want to pay this amount. It's because we have real material facts pointing us into the direction of, of our, of our price. So now they're going, okay, these guys are actually being really serious about their offer. Like they know exactly why they need to get at this price. It's take it or leave it. Now I got to decide what to do. And, and again, they might say, no, I'm going to leave it. I don't care. I want my price. Then that's fine. Okay. And then once you learn what the seller's motivations are, what do you do with that information? Well, I mean, try, try to meet their motivation. Right. So, and, and so if, if they're, if they're motivated by certain things, you know, obviously we try to put those in our, in our LOI, right? So they want that earnest money risk capital. They think that's important. Uh, that happens quite a bit. You know, the, this apartment that we got there, they really wanted risk capital upfront right away. Um, so, so that's one thing we really did. Um, you know, our, how, I think knowing their motivation, if they're desperate, um, if they need to get out, if they, if it doesn't fit their business plan, if it doesn't fit their business model, uh, just knowing that um, obviously gives you a position to negotiate. Um, so I, I think just understanding where they're at just allows you to put the best offer forward, negotiate a way that's going to give them some peace of mind as well. So you got to give some, right? Especially if you're going to be tough on your price and, and, and say, no, this is it. You've got to give some somewhere. So knowing what's important to them is really important for your negotiating standpoint. Yeah. Makes sense. Offer the carrot and you right. get what you want. Right. And we, we typically try to come in lower than our strike price. So we have some room to go. We typically try to come in with terms that are, we know are going to be uh, a point of contention. So we have a place to negotiate again. So we want several places to be able to negotiate. We don't want our offer accepted as is. If we, I, I shouldn't say always too. I mean, again, if it's a very competitive bid process, 
we want to be armed with all of it and come in with our best offer and come in with the best terms and come in with everything it was showing our hand right up front and knowing we're not going to negotiate, right? Because we want to be the strongest one. We want them to pick us, pick our, you know, offer as is. We don't want to, if we, if we come with a weaker offer, they might just look at the next offer up and go, well, we like that offer. We're going to take that one. And we just lost out. We don't even have a chance to negotiate. So that's the other thing. We got to know how competitive this is. How many, how many people did the broker bring this to? How many people are they getting offers from? If there's five other offers, we're not going to come in low on price. We're not going to come in low on terms. We're going to, we're going to give our best foot right away up front. Yeah. We want to get picked. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's not uh, 2011 where you could just buy any property for a song. So mm-hmm. I wish it was. <laughs> someday. But it's not. That's all right. So, someday. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. You know, I, I, I think that someday is going to be a long time from now. Now, I could be wrong. The second you start saying that, that's, the, that's, the, that's when you're wrong about it. But I feel like this market could go up for five plus years. Um, but again, I could be wrong and it could go down in five plus months. Yeah, I still see a lot of investors talking about you know the doom and gloom, how we're about to have a crash. But I mean, uh, they've been saying that for years and years now. Yeah, they've been saying it for years. And um, you know, a lot of people have been sitting on the sidelines and waiting for the next crash. And you know, you're not going to lose money, certainly, if you do that. But you're potentially missing on a lot of opportunity. And I said it, and I've said it probably on the show before, but you know, I said it to a guy that's a multifamily investor, uh, owned a lot of properties, sold them all. And I said to him, I said, you know, cause he's, he said, I'm not going to, I'm no longer buying the market's too hot. And he said, well, what happens if, you know, two, three years from now, the market's still really hot. And, uh, he said, well, it's not going to be, but if it is, I'll have to rethink my whole theory. Well, that was, that comment was made back in 2018. It's 2021. Market's still hot. So he was wrong. And I don't know. He has to rethink his whole theory, according to him. I don't know if he is. But what happens again? Now it's 2021. What happens if in three more years, the market's still hot? What are you going to do? Are you going to rethink your theory again? Are you going to be kicking yourself that you missed out on six amazing years, right? Or are you going to go, I'm just going to keep on waiting. The crash is going to happen. You know, what happens if in three more years after that, the market is still hot. So it took from 1992, roughly, until 2008 for the market to crash, right? So that's, that's a long time. So now it's 2008 to 2021. Could it go to 2030 potentially? Yeah. And I mean, none of us have a a crystal ball. So, I mean, all you can really do is use that conservative underwriting and buy properties, right? Use the teller motivation, uh, buy it right. And then whatever happens, happens, you'll still be able to make money. 
Right. Right. And every economy is different. We, we talk about history repeats itself. Uh, history does not repeat itself. History has some resemblance, right? But it doesn't repeat. It's not the same. We're not going to have the exact same crash as we had before. We don't have the same factors. A lot of things have changed. The world has become a global economy. Um, you know, there's trillions of dollars that have floated into the markets since the last crash. Uh, there's just so much demographics have switched uh, or changed. Um, you know, just so many things that you technology, all kinds of stuff. The world is moving so much differently than it moved even 10, 15 years ago. So possible to predict it when it's going to crash and, and what's going on in the market. It's got to educate yourself. That's it. And keep, keep on top of things and, and be smart about what you're buying. I would love a, uh, a crash, by the way, uh, Matt. I mean, Me too. A, a crash would be phenomenal. It would, would it hurt my existing properties? Yeah, it would hurt my existing properties, but it opens up a lot more opportunities for me. And here's one thing I learned from the last crash and kind of looking back, well-located properties do well, okay? Well-located properties are highly desirable in every single market. A well-located property might go down in value by five to 10%. But a poorly located property is going to go down in value by, you know, 30, 40, 50%. Okay. Uh, you know, nice property. So well-located, attractive looking, um, you know, obviously cash flowing, but it doesn't mean they have to have the best cash flow. So when I look back and I look at the markets and I look at the submarkets, that I've invested in, that I've followed, that, that I've seen, all the submarkets that you know are desirable, that people want to live in, they they went down in value, but by way less, right? And they've far exceeded where they've ever been. But the poor markets, the markets, the the C and D class markets, they lost a ton of value. And yeah, they're back up and they're back up a higher than where they were, but not by a lot in comparison to the other ones. The other thing is very well kept properties retain value. So let's look back again at the, at the, at the crash. I was buying houses for $10,000 to $50,000. They were distressed. They needed a lot of work. And the only people that could buy them were people that had the money to buy them, the cash to buy them, or the resources. I didn't have the cash. I found the cash. Um, <clears throat> but we found the cash. We figured out how to buy these properties. And we were able to fix them up and make them into sparkling gems. And guess what? We were selling them at top of the market for high prices, comparatively. And when I look at the value that we sold those at versus the value we bought them at, it's just, it's amazing the difference. And that's because people in any market want to buy nice things in nice markets. So if you've got good properties, well-located and nice markets, they're, they're well-kept, you're going to do okay. Great. So, all right. Well, so well, that more random thoughts of the day, but. That's, that's all I got today. Just random thoughts, man. 
It's all good. I mean, uh, I always really appreciate our conversation. Some uh, great information always comes up, even when, or like maybe especially when we go on tangents. <laughs> tangents are fun. That's that's where the real learning begins. When you're not, you know, we don't we don't really prepare for these shows much, anyways, because I don't, I, I, I don't honestly, I don't like to prepare. I like to have things come up, and I like to have real conversations. And so, yeah, we might have a little bit of prep, but I like real conversations. That's that's where the real magic happens, in my opinion. Very good. So, all right, man. Well, do you want to add anything? You got anything else? No, I think that's it for today. Okay. Well, cool. You have a fantastic rest of the day. Make every day Saturday, man. Thanks, you do. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.